I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is God's word. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that there is no one who is worthy of all of our praise except you. Every breath that we breathe, may we bring you praise with our breath, with our life. May we build our lives upon you. And Lord, as we come into this room this morning, we come from many different places. And so we ask that your spirit would be present among us this morning. We ask that the peace that surpasses all understanding that is in Christ, Jesus would guard our hearts and minds. And that you'd be glorified in our midst. May it be so, Father. We pray this for your name's sake and your glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning again, everyone. My name is Troy. I'm one of the servant leaders here. I want to welcome you to uh, the Kettlebrook Church, or gatherings anyway. We, as a church, if you want to know who we are, we, it's on the back wall on your way out, just so you don't forget. It's that we are a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. That's right. We think about family in the terms of the eternal. Because of the Father and who he is, we have become eternal children of God. We think of uh, following Jesus in the everyday, and then we, th we think about helping others follow Jesus. When we talk about others, we talk about everyone. So the eternal in eternity, every day in everyone. And if you're new or visiting with us this morning, we'd encourage you to fill out a connect card that are in the seat backs in the chairs in front of you and put that in the offering box, which is on the way out. That offering is really intended for those who are part of our family of faith, uh, but would love to connect up with you and have you do that. Now, uh, this morning, if you're new or visiting with us, we are finishing up a series that we started uh, three weeks ago called Identity in Intimacy. And we have been going through God's design on our identities, our, our intimacy, our sexuality, and our bodies. So if you're here for the first time today and you maybe have some children with you, just want to give you kind of a disclaimer that we're going to be talking about uh, matters of sexuality this morning. Those things are going to come up. Uh, we do have children's ministry available that side of the building and that side of the building. So I just want to let you know that ahead of time. Uh, I read just from Revelation here because that's where we began uh, three weeks ago with the end in mind. That our identity is that we are children of God and at the end of all things there is really one marriage that is being pointed to. It's the marriage of God and his bride, the church. And so we talked about creation and its impact, the creational impact on us being made in God's image. Then we talked about week two, the fall. Lou Phillips was here and walked us through the impact of the fall on our identity and our intimacy, our sexuality, and our bodies. And last week I talked through the idea of redemption and what Jesus has done to redeem all these things and point us to this restoration, which is where we're at in this week, week four. Now, uh, we have a, a special treat for you this morning. We have a guest, and about... A year and a half ago, 
I got a book. It was a book from Lee Hayward, who is the pastor at Elmbrook Church, our grandmother church, if you would. And Mike, he gave it to Mike Moran, who was the founding pastor here at Kettlebrook. And Mike gave it to me. He says, hey, you got to read this book, Troy. It's called Rethinking Sexuality by Dr. Julie Slattery, um, God's Design and Why It Matters. And so uh, I started to read it, had our staff kind of read through it. And as we were planning for this series on identity and sexuality and intimacy, uh, David Sizdek, of course, he's like, why don't we just ask Julie Slattery to come? And I was like, we can do that? I suppose we probably could. So we called Julie up, and we said, Julie, could you come? And she said yes. And so uh, we've been long awaiting this. Uh, last, uh, just yesterday, we had Julie here for about eight hours walking through uh, uh, what rethinking sexuality looks like from a biblical lens. And so this morning, I'd love to have uh, you give her a warm Kettlebrook welcome. Uh, welcome, Dr. Julie Slattery. I'll have you sit here, Julie. Julie has a huge resume, but she's, uh, she's humble about it. She's written 10 different books. She's worked for Focus on the Family. She began a ministry called Authentic Intimacy back in 2012, mm -hmm. and then has been doing that. And then in 2020, began something called sexualdiscipleship.com. And I think, I, I said yesterday, I think we, I can safely call you a friend of mine now. I really yes, am blessed you can. Yes. by that. <laughs> Been able to spend some Anyone who picks me up at the Green Bay Airport in the middle of the night is a friend, so, which you did, so thank you. <laughs> that was my pleasure, yes. my pleasure. So we've been, a ch I had a chance with our staff to really grow in learning about sexual discipleship from, from Julie for the past a year or more, not just through her books, but through office hours, inter interacting regularly on Zoom calls. Uh, you're obviously in Ohio. Mm -hmm. But um, so Julie, first question for you. We've got a number of questions. What we're going to do this morning is just, we want to leverage Julie and ask her a lot of questions that I think are on your minds or on our minds. Uh, maybe the first question is kind of a fun one. So, Julie, it's been your whole life since you were a little girl, right? You've wanted to walk around and talk about sexuality, right? Just with no. people. You just said, <laughs> hey, when I grow up, I want to talk about these really hard conversations, right? No, not, not at all. Not For sure not. So, uh, yeah, I always had a heart for just helping people navigate life and integrate biblical truth into marriage and family and daily life. And so I did go right through school and became a psychologist. So that was a passion of mine. But really, it was only within the last decade that God really burdened my heart for this topic of sexuality and uh, sexual brokenness. And it came out of a season of just the Lord really asking me to seek him. And uh, he just gave me a burden mm. for how much sexual pain and confusion and brokenness we have going on in our world that... I think we're, we don't feel equipped to address. And that was 10 years ago. Right. So it has, uh, it has just continued to multiply uh, to where we are today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to, you just said that was 10 years ago. Yeah. What have you seen even in the last 10 years that's really changed? Yeah. Well, first of all, on the, on the positive side, we have to say that these conversations are becoming more normalized. So, uh, so when we talk about the Me Too movement, when we talk about uh, the use of pornography, uh, when we talk about attentions with same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria, these things always existed, mm. but, uh, but we weren't allowed to speak about them in culture, and we certainly weren't allowed to speak about them in faith communities the way we are today. Mm. Uh, so that's the positive, uh, but 
that is the only positive. There, there's a lot of negative that has happened within the last 10 years, and it really is a reflection of where we've gone in our culture in general, where we've moved from being sort of a God-fearing people that would acknowledge there is a creator, he has a purpose, there is accountability for my life, uh, to becoming very rapidly uh, a more humanistic society that says the most important thing you can do is figure out what you want and who you want to be, that you're your own God. Mm. And at some level, if there is a God, he accommodates your experience. Sure. And so that's impacted all of our culture, but it's really impacted sexuality because sexuality is seen as such a core uh, aspect of our identity, yeah. uh, which is why, again, we see the proliferation of pornography, of uh, the idea that you should explore and experiment in your teens and early 20s, and you shouldn't stay in a relationship that's not satisfying or fulfilling to you. Uh, so we're seeing all kinds of uh, just painful outcomes. Mm. Uh, and, and unfortunately, there's no end to it. So, uh, so it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, now you know that we titled this series Identity and Intimacy on Purpose. You know, we've, we talked about that a long yeah. time ago. Can you speak to why identity, why, we, why identity is so critical to this conversation around sexuality? Yeah, so we're always living out of an identity. Uh, and uh, A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God, what comes into your mind when you think of him. Because our identity is the soil out of which we see the world. It's how we, how we navigate every issue, including sexuality. So even considering, like, what is, what is the most important aspect of my identity hmm. uh, is a huge question. And our culture is saying the most important aspect of your identity is your personal experience. And so we need to look inward hmm. at what do I want? The heart wants what the heart wants. You know, where, where do I see myself on the spectrum of gender? And what actually do I desire related to my sexuality? And so our culture is saying that is how you frame your life, that is how you pursue happiness. Uh, the scripture says something very different. The scripture would say the most important thing about you is who God says that you are. You were made in his image, uh, you're loved by him, he pursues you. And so we look at our experiences then through the lens of looking upward. Who is God and who has he called me to be? And so those are two very different ways of understanding ourselves and all of the ways we navigate sexuality come out of that framework. Sure. Um, and so you really can't, I think if we talk about sexual issues without getting to the core of what is feeding those issues, we're just, we're just managing symptoms. We're not getting to the core, uh, the core pain point or problem. Sure, dealing at the, just at the surface level and the, instead of really what's down here. Right, and, right. and so many of our conversations around sexuality, again, are arguing about symptoms uh, rather than really getting to the root of what, what's causing these new questions we're asking. Sure. Uh, what, what causes us to go back to pornography again and again? What causes us to feel unsatisfied in our current relationship? Uh, what causes us to question gender? Uh, to question love. Uh, and so those are the questions that, that the Bible really speaks to uh, that we want to be attentive to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned pornography a couple times. Sometimes it's one of those things that from the front we might bring that up in a message or something. Mm -hmm. But yesterday you shared a decent amount. Can you 
Can you speak to what you're seeing, the impact of, for example, pornography on, on our sexuality and our identities? Yeah, for sure. So pornography is, a, you know, it's always been an issue. It's always been a problem. But as we know, with the smartphone and the internet, it's become so readily accessible that, uh, you know, the research would tell us that, you know, that, uh, the average kid around the age of eight was probably been exposed to pornography. And, uh, and it is it is created to play on the, the brain's pleasure reward system. Mm. So it releases these chemicals like dopamine and adrenaline and uh, another one that we would call it, uh, it's got a long name, it's, we'll call it PEA, that's kind of its nickname. But this cocktail of excitement, of novelty, of pleasure just overloads the brain. Mm. And for some people, they say it's even more addictive than crack cocaine. Uh, and so what it does is it, it, it creates, especially with pornography being readily ab available, it creates this pattern of anytime I feel bored, anytime I feel lonely, depressed, that's my fix. Uh, and, uh, and whereas normal drugs require more to get the same impact, with um, this, like pornography and sexual, when we use that as a drug, it requires novelty. So it's not more, but it's different which is why uh, we see pornography becoming violent. Uh, we see aberrations of what God designed sex to be. Uh, so there's all kinds of things that even the secular scientific community would say, this is really bad for us, it's killing us. Mm. It's, uh, it's rewiring our brains, particularly when it begins in adolescence in a way that is so addictive. But I think we also have to look at what it, how it's educating us or discipling us in how we see sexuality. Pornography teaches you that you should be a sexual consumer and that uh, sexuality is all about getting what you want when you want it. Mm. And so there are men and women that, uh, that have been using pornography that want to follow God, they get married, and uh, they're still working with that framework of, okay, God should give me sexually what I want and my spouse should give me sexually what I want. And so the whole way they're approaching this topic, even if they're Christians and they're trying to have a Christian marriage, is their framework, uh, their reference point for the purpose of sex is very skewed. And we see that showing up in all kinds of dysfunctions, even in early marriages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, Joe, I'm going to, if you could bring up the slide on the difference between sexual activity and sexual intimacy. Julie, you had that slide yesterday. Mm -hmm. I really thought this was, uh, can you speak to this slide for us? Yeah, but yeah. There's a lot of setup on this. Sorry, folks, right. you're just diving into a whole session yesterday, but I really thought this was insightful. Can you speak to sure, this slide? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, a lot of the work we do is uh, for in marriage. We, we do work with singles. We do work with married couples. We do work with people that are struggling, but particularly related to marriage. And I think a, a simplistic understanding of the scripture can even reinforce this view that, again, sex is all about getting what I want. And so the average couple, again, is approaching uh, their sexual relationship with, okay, how, how do we get what we want? And, uh, and so you can see the difference between activity, which is really what pornography and our whole culture would promote uh, that it's about compatibility. You know, if you're single, you're, you might be asking the question, well, how do I know if I'm sexually compatible with somebody if we don't try things out? Mm. Uh, Christian singles are asking that all the time. 
the idea that you need to understand is you will be sexually incompatible. Um, that's, that's part, that's baked into the cake, and there's a reason why we are. God created it that way. Um, but the, there's a focus on frequency. And like, sure. there's usually a higher desire and a lower desire person, and the higher desire is saying, you have to meet my need. It's all about how often we're intimate or have sex. It's about physical attraction. We get emails all the time. I'm not attracted to my spouse anymore. What do I do? Sure. Does this mean our marriage is falling apart? I don't feel in love. It's about the immediate pleasure. Is this satisfying for me? It's about getting my needs met. And again, the average Christian couple thinks this way because we've been trained to think this way. Yeah. Instead of looking at the fact that God really actually gave this as a gift of, of journeying through intimacy. And most couples are going to experience significant barriers in their, in their sexual relationship. Yeah. So if you're only thinking of activity, you feel like the gift is broken. But if you could see, no, God is actually teaching you to love each other in profound ways, even through the journey of infer infertility sure. or through physical problems and illnesses or through recovery from past trauma, uh, that it's an invitation to know each other more deeply. Uh, and so shifting that paradigm is often very healing for couples who are in the midst of those things. Yeah. Thanks for just addressing that. I, I thought that was insightful yesterday. The other thing that uh, you have that's really central to, I think, the book is this idea of, last week we talked about dichotomies. We talked about how Jesus was not forced into a, a corner, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of times what he did is he would, they'd try to set him up, yeah. right? Sadducees, yeah. Pharisees would uh -huh. try to test him, and then he would say, no, the way of redemption is the way I'm going to go every single time. Uh, you have a really great paradigm that I think has profoundly impacted many of our staff and just rethinking uh, sexuality. Can you explain uh, to us the, the cultural, uh, the purity, and the biblical narrative? We do have the slides if you want to sure. reference yeah, them. But, yeah, but for sure. I think this is really central to some of the stuff that's been really helpful for us. Yeah, so, you know, I just keep learning and try to pass on what God is teaching me. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned over the years is we all have a narrative of sexuality. Uh, it's sort of the operating system of, that we keep referring back to. And I always want to know, what is your narrative of sexuality? In other words, what do, what do you believe, why do you believe sex is even important and sexuality is important? And uh, if we're talking to each other using different narratives, we're going to miss each other. Mm. And the more important thing is, okay, so what is God's narrative? Uh, so it's really helped me to simplify this and uh, to say there are three primary narratives of sexuality. And the first one is that cultural narrative, which is, the, the water that we swim in today, again, coming out of a more humanistic um, frame of reference that says sexuality really matters because it's a core component uh, to understanding who you are as an individual. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said, my, my training is in psychology, so secular psychology would certainly be a promoter of this, that uh, sexuality is so critical because if you don't know who you are sexually, you can't be a fulfilled person. Sure. Uh, and so maturity, the journey of wholeness means I have to experiment, I have to explore, which is why if you go to any university in our country, including here in Wisconsin, you would have a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds who are sexually exploring. They're exploring their identities. They're, uh, they're trying things out. They're having sexual experiences. And the grown-ups would say that's a good thing because you need to find out who you are sexually. Sure. And our moral code in our current culture is everything's okay as long as there's consent, you're not hurting somebody else. 
and you don't get in the way of somebody else's exploratory journey. Sure. And so what we're doing here at Kettlebrook would be seen as immoral or unloving to some in our culture because sure. you're telling teenagers not to explore their sexuality, you're putting restrictions on them, you're saying uh, there's a different moral code than what makes them happy. Sure. Uh, and so this is critical to understanding our neighbors, uh, the school system we, uh, we're involved in. This is what they believe is true about the world and how it translates into sexuality. Um, so that's the cultural narrative. Do you want yeah. me to go to the second I one? Do. Sure. I do. Yeah. So the second narrative is really what I call the purity narrative, which uh, has been in Christian conversation a lot over the last probably five or six years with the conversation around not kiss dating goodbye and the, some of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. So if you're paying attention to Christian culture, there's a lot of discussion about this. If you grew up like I did in a Christian church or a Catholic church, this is going to be probably familiar to you. And it would say your purity matters because sexual, your sexuality is an important part of pleasing God. Sure. Uh, which is very true if we look at the Bible. Uh, you know, the scripture says very clearly that it's God's will that you abstain from sexual morality. And we're called to be people of purity. Mm. Uh, the, the purity narrative would say that wholeness or maturity means save sex for marriage and get married as a virgin. So the finish line is yeah. your wedding day. It's, did, did we make it or not? And I've had parents come up to me and say, we've almost got the kids there. You know, I don't think they've had sex and I think we're gonna make it. And so parents have this mindset sure. and they project this onto their children of it's a pass fail test. Uh, and the moral code is just save sex for marriage. Uh, and so we talked about yesterday how while this is rooted in some truth, there's a lot of problems with it. Uh, first of all, there are a lot of people that don't feel like they fit in this narrative. Yeah. Um, people that experience same-sex attraction, people that are struggling with gender uh, dysphoria, people that have sexual trauma in their past, mm -hmm. uh, people that uh, have explored sexuality and have slept around and they're like, well, okay, so it's, if it's past fail, then I failed. And we kind of project this as, well, then you're on God's plan B and he's still redeeming God, but it's not consistent with the gospel message. Uh, our purity comes through the fact that Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross mm -hmm. and we put on his righteousness and we become pure through him. And so there aren't two categories of people, those who save sex for marriage and those who haven't. God doesn't see it that way. He sees sinners in need of a savior and our purity comes through abiding in him. Mm. Uh, and so there's been a lot of hurt and confusion for people that grew up with this purity narrative because they begin to doubt the faithfulness of God when their story doesn't play out like this. There are a lot of people who won't get married and there are people who follow God uh, with this purity narrative. And they, I know women who have gotten married and said, I saved sex for marriage and sex has been horrible. Hmm. Or my spouse cheated on me repeatedly. Uh, I, I don't understand. They'll say, you know, where's the faithfulness of God? And so even a lot of the deconstruction that we see happening uh, in our culture is rooted in yeah. as this simplistic understanding of sexuality. Yeah. So then, what's the way that Jesus would 
So those are maybe the, the dichotomies. Yeah. What's the third way that, that you think yeah, is so, the biblical way? Well, that I think is a biblical way. I hope it's a biblical way. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've, I've spent really the last decade reading the Bible cover to cover, reading others who have been asking these questions. But culture in our current day, the questions that we're being asked are pushing us deeper into what is the heart of God related to our sexuality. Mm. And, uh, and we could spend a lot of time, we spent a lot of time unpacking this yesterday, um, but the biblical narrative is really rooted in this idea that God is revealing something, something to us through our sexuality, that God is always in the business of revealing himself, and that sexuality matters so much because God created our sexuality as a picture or a metaphor to help us understand the nature of his covenant love. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that's sort of like a statement that it's like, wait, you know, what does that even mean? Uh, and uh, the book Rethinking Sexuality and, and others uh, that I could point you to unpack that for people. But it is a, f a total change of reference that, uh, okay, God is revealing something through my singleness, through my longings. He's even revealing something through my brokenness. Why is infidelity so painful? Hmm. Because it's a broken covenant. Hmm. And God is a covenant-making God. And God would say in the Old Testament that I am a God who has lived with a broken covenant. My people continue to be unfaithful to me. And so all of sexuality is really this living metaphor to help us understand God's heart for us, the way yeah. he pursues us, the way he wants to marry us, mm -hmm. the way he calls us to faithfulness and intimacy. Um, so there's a lot to unpack with that sure. biblical narrative. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's reclaiming the metaphor. Yes. Yeah, and if, if, you, if, you're, if you're lost in that, sorry, we've talked for three weeks about this, so we'd encourage you to go back and listen to those messages and, and unpack the, the biblical narrative that is this third way. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that... that uh, Steph and I were praying this morning, and I, I shared with you that she shared with me. She said, Troy, you have to have Julie share about Lazarus, because um, <clears throat> you shared that yesterday. Mm -hmm. When we think about sexual discipleship in the context of community, yeah. um, I think a lot of times this is isolated. When we, we don't talk to anybody about this, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Almost anybody, and yet it's being talked about all around us mm -hmm. or at us, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to be discipled in community around these areas of sexuality. Yeah. Um, you used the illustration from Lazarus. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to give you some freedom and leash here to kind of take us into what you shared yesterday. Because I think sure, it was really powerful. Sure, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know that saying, like, when you're hammer, everything looks like a nail. So when I read the scripture, I'm always looking at what does God teach us about sex? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so sure. who reads John 11 and comes out with the story about sexual healing? Sure. Except for Julie Slattery. But, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I see a lot in that story of how God speaks life into the dead places uh, in, of our being. And for so many people, sexuality is that area that is sealed behind the tomb. And I love the story of Lazarus because God, Jesus is ready to speak life into Lazarus. And, and, and just, sorry to interrupt, but just in case you're not familiar with the story, Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. Mm -hmm. He dies. Yeah. He's in a tomb. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's too late. Jesus is like, no, no, I did this on purpose so that God could be glorified. And then he calls Lazarus out of a tomb. Right. And he raises him from the dead. Yes. Just, just in case yeah. there's someone here. I know. It's, a, know it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing John story. John chapter 11. Yes. Yeah, so we could talk a lot about it. But, but. One of the things that happens is when Jesus says, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead here, 
he's saying, roll away this stone, open the tomb. And Martha, who's Lazarus' sister, is super practical. I think, you know, she's the Mar Martha Stewart of that day. And, uh, and she has an objection. And she says, he's been dead for four days. It's going to smell. Like, if you open this, it's going to stink. In sure. the King James, she just said, but Lord, it stinketh. Yeah. Um, and... And in working with so many people on this topic, that's their objection is, it's going to stink. Mm. Like, why do I need to go back to what happened to me 20 years ago? Mm. Uh, why would I bring out that stench? Why would I confess an affair that would just devastate my spouse? It's going to stink. Sure. You why know, would I admit to pornography? Right. Why would, I, why would I talk about my same-sex attraction? Sure. Why does anybody need to know that? Uh, but Jesus will not heal what we will not expose. Mm. And he could have rolled away the tomb, but he said, you guys have to do it. You have to be willing to trust me that I reveal for the purpose of breathing life, mm. that you're going to see the glory of God, he tells Martha. Like, trust me, you're going to see the glory of God. And over the last decade, I've had the privilege of watching him do that over and over again. But what I shared yesterday is then uh, they do roll away the stone. And I think it really did stink because he was dead for four days. That was proof that the enemy had worked. Sure. And it does stink when we tell the truth. Hmm. And so here comes Lazarus. And it's interesting because he's, he's wound up in these grave clothes. He's like a mummy. And there's a song that we sing, you know, roll away the stone and... I ran out of that grave. You know that song? Yep. Okay. Well, he didn't run out of the grade, grave. He did like the mummy shuffle because he was <laughs> wrapped in grave clothes. And he's alive, but he's still paralyzed by the, the linens of death. Hmm. And, uh, and it struck me that Jesus doesn't remove the grave clothes. And he doesn't tell Lazarus to free himself. He tells the people around him unwrap him and set him free. Hmm. And that's so much the journey of sexual healing, regardless of what you're walking through, is that God begins to speak life when we expose the truth, but it doesn't happen immediately. Hmm. And we need the community around us to get their hands dirty. Think about these linens. They had touched death for four days. They probably stank. Sure. And... The Jewish people were not allowed to touch anything that could, what had touched death. And so I imagine that these people were like, do we touch him? Like, this is gross. Sure. But he's not going to be free unless the community gets involved. Hmm. And that's so true in our families of God that uh, it's a journey to recover from an affair. It's a journey to recover from sexual abuse and trauma. It's a journey uh, to walk in discipleship through lust and pornography addiction and fear and vaginismus. And I can name on and on and on and broken sexuality. And we were never meant to do it alone. Mm -hmm. And we weren't even just meant to do it with us and God. And so part of uh, what the work that I know you're so passionate about and that we're passionate about is how do we equip the communities of God's people to be part of the miracles uh, mm. that he wants to happen every day and yeah. in every city. Uh, and we're just like those people. We're like, do we really want to talk about sex? Like, do we really want to go there? It's going to get messy. Yeah. Uh, and it will get messy.
But every time we see the glory of God meet us in those places. Yeah, amen. Well, you talked about, Julie talked about uh, community and, and want to be a place that we can be that healing community, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the questions that came up yesterday were, how do I love well someone who may find themselves in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an LGBTQIA mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. understanding of, of, of their own identity and, and sexuality? How do we as a community, knowing that God's designed for sexuality, knowing um, God's call to avoid sexual immorality, those kinds of things, how do we love well? I think maybe yeah. everyone in here is experiencing mm -hmm. someone in their life yeah. that they want to love well, but are also balancing this tension of, right. I want to do what God's design is as well. So mm -hmm. how do we do that and do that well? Yeah, so first of all, loving people who experience any range of the LGBTQ spectrum is first loving people. Uh, it's the same way we love uh, the person who's in a lifestyle of greed and who is contentious and uh, who is polarizing and who is a gossiper. And uh, it's loving a, another sinner. Hmm. And for some reason, uh, I think our church tradition is to see this kind of struggle or this kind of sin as different. It's not different. Uh, these are people. And, uh, and what I've learned over the years is, you know, we're, we're in the business of the Great Commission. That's what Jesus sends, uh, sent us out to do. And so um, what is the Great Commission? I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Right. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you always. You to had it memorized. Okay, yeah, yeah and you didn't is. even know that I was going <laughs> to ask you that. Good we, for you. That's awesome. Okay, so. We're really on mission here. That yeah. One, we know that one. Yeah. For so, sure. So let's take that. Okay, so all authority has been given to me. So Jesus has authority today in these conversations, still. And so he says, go into all the world and make virgins and heterosexuals. Does he say that? <laughs> no. No, okay. He so he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says make disciples. disciples. So yeah. how do we make disciples? People uh, pick up a cross daily and they follow him. Yeah. So first yeah. they have to know about Jesus, right? Yep. It's evangelism. Yep. Uh, and so when we love people well, we're not first addressing their sex lives. We're saying, do you know Jesus? Hmm. Uh, and... If they don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter who they're sleeping with or who they're married to. That, that's irrelevant. Hmm. The, the key is, how do we make disciples? How do we share the love of Jesus with them? Then they're baptized. Hmm. Then they're, they, they're new in, in new life. Hmm. Now we teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Now we deal with uh, the fact that Jesus wants every corner of our lives. And discipleship includes how we spend our money and how we spend our time. And if what we look... contentious. And yes. Yeah. And what we look on, at on the internet and how we deal with the wounds of our past. And that's a journey. It doesn't happen in a day. Hmm. It's a messy journey that will get to our sexuality, whether you're single or married or uh, old or young. Uh, and, but we're getting the cart before the horse. Hmm. Uh, and so loving people is loving them with the love of Jesus and 
winsomely sharing why he's worthy of following. Mm. Uh, and then we have the conversations about sexuality after that. And I think we get caught in the trap of where do you stand on gay marriage or what do you think about cohabitation? And those are questions for disciples of Jesus to ask. If somebody who doesn't know Jesus is asking me that, I don't want to even answer. I want, I'll ask, why is that important to you? Mm. Uh, what, where's, what's the real issue here? Uh, again, where's the identity question that's underneath all of this? And the question is, will you reject me? Or will you love me? Uh, and, and we know how to do that with our neighbors and our coworkers who are entrapped in all kinds of sin. And I think we need to understand that, that this is no different. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, based on the time that we have this morning, there are so many questions that you all have. And you're going to say, well, what about this specific situation that I have with my aunt or my brother or sister? I think I want to point you to a, a resource called Java with Julie. It's a podcast that you've been doing for how long? Uh, almost nine years. Almost nine yeah. years. Um, yeah. And my guess is if, if people were to look at that podcast and they were to skim through the topics, they're going to probably find a number of resources there that will speak yeah. to maybe a specific situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. So most of the time I'm interviewing guests um, that either have stories uh, of their own journey or experts on every topic imaginable around sexuality. So it's really, it's the way I learn. Yeah. Uh, and so we have over 400 episodes and uh, you can find an episode on pretty much everything related to sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a resource. Java with Julie would encourage you to check that out because we're almost out of time, mm -hmm. which I'm going, we didn't cover seven of these questions. I apologize, everyone. That's all right. Um, <clears throat> Julie, how, what would you say to encourage us as a family of faith uh, in light of uh, growing in sexual discipleship? How would you maybe close us with, what could you encourage us in? Mm. <clears throat> so uh, I think one way I'd encourage you, and I said this yesterday, um, no one's an expert in this. You know, people are always coming to me asking me these questions and uh, I ha have had 10 years to study this, with, which gives me quite an advantage, but I think we need to realize, like, at the end of the Great Commission, what is the last thing Jesus says? And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Yeah. And that's the key, is that I don't know how to heal somebody. I don't know how to save somebody. I don't know how to convince somebody uh, that the path they're seeking for love is going to end in death, but Jesus does. Mm -hmm. And um, and when we look at Scripture, you know, when we look at the Book of John. What Jesus said to his disciples was, "Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, you know, I will be in you." And that would be my encouragement. Whether this is a very personal issue in your family or in your own life, or it's just you have a heart for how do we reach our world. Now, we don't know how to do it, but Jesus says one thing, you know, just abide in me, mm. and I will give you the words that you need. I will equip you with the love uh, that you need, uh, and th that answer has been true ever since Jesus walked the earth, yeah. and so um, that's even more important than listening to a podcast. You know, it's, Lord, would you equip us, yeah. and he will lead us into all truth. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is mm -hmm. in us. 
who have trusted in him, the same spirit that Jesus uh, leveraged to raise Lazarus from the dead is is in us. And so we don't have to have the answer to every single scenario because the Mm. spirit can lead and guide us as we are submitting to him. Yeah, and then the other thing I would say is with discipleship, you can only take somebody as far as you yourself have gone. And so you might be a parent or a grandparent, and you're saying, well, how do I teach my kids this? You can't give them what you do not have. And there's a lot of healing and discipleship that needs to happen in our hearts first. Mm -hmm. Because we've grown up in a culture that says, you don't talk about that. Uh, And there's shame underneath all that, that for many of us has been ruminating for years. And so, uh, you know, the first step is really God what would you want to heal and redeem in my life? Yeah, amen. So I have to get Julie down to Jackson for our 10 o'clock gathering and get her back up here for the next one. But um, I'm going to pray for, for us, and then I'm going to um, have you get, on, get in the truck and get, get down okay. there. Okay, right, sounds right, good. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious Father, we ask for your mercy and grace to abound as we process through and wade into these things. We want to have these conversations. We want to seek your spirit's guiding and leading as you continue to move in our midst, as we continue to learn from you that your son Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And that he is pointing us to the end of an age where he will be our perfect husband in eternity, where we will be children of God, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. Father, thank you for Julie. I pray that you would continue to give her strength and endurance as she has to do this a few more times uh, today. And give us ears to hear your word as we open it, as we continue to seek your wisdom from it, and uh, as we come around together in a community to learn about your glory through this specific way, our identity, our intimacy, our sexuality. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Can we give Julie a round of applause? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks.